Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Uh, so what we've done, I guess just to bring some of you up to speed so that you know kind of what, what's been happening, um, Sunday mornings for Sunday school, we're going through, well, we're going to go through the entire Bible eventually. It'll take some time, obviously, but we're going chapter by chapter through the Word of God, starting with the book of Matthew. So we'll go all the way through the New Testament, then we'll jump back to Genesis and go all the way through the Old Testament, then we'll do it all over again if I'm still alive and you're a pastor, so... <laughs> Um, and, and the goal with that is over time as men come and they learn the word of God and, and I can come to trust them and they want to teach, I, I, I will begin to cycle other men into helping to teach that. And then you get to hear different aspects of the word of God from different perspectives, different people. And, and uh, as long as it's within doctrinal you know, me, soundness, and it, it's good. It's good to hear from different men, different people, and, and learn from different people, and so it'll be a blessing. And then on Sunday mornings, during the Sunday morning service, we're going through the book of Romans, and, and we started in Romans chapter 1, and we've done two or three sermons already. Anybody know? I don't remember. I just preach them. I don't try it. Three. So this is the fourth or the third? All right. So this is the fourth. Uh, and so what we're, gonna, what, what we're doing is, is just going through the book of Romans. We're going to go verse by verse, word by word, line by line. We're going to be in the book of Romans for a long time. So I hope you're okay with that. <laughs> and some people will enjoy that. Some people will be a bit tedious, and I understand that. But we'll, we'll try to make it as enjoyable as possible and learn as much as we can and let the Word of God build this church. And uh, then on Wednesday nights, we're also going through the book of Romans. We'll soon have our Sunday afternoons back. And um, so either uh, Sunday afternoon or Wednesday in the coming weeks, we'll probably introduce something else just to break it up a little bit so that you don't get worn out by the book of Romans too much and uh, try to give you something different to look forward to on those days. Uh, For some people, they, they really don't like that. I enjoy that. I enjoy the men who just you know, first of all, as a pastor, I am responsible to give you every word of God. That is my responsibility. And so the best way to do that is, as Isaiah says, line by line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. So you, you just got to go through the word of God and teach it. And the other thing that prevents is 
if something comes up that I don't like, I don't get on a soapbox and start, you know, pointing people out in church discriminately. Instead, I wait till it comes up in the scriptures. Then I point them out discriminately. <laughs> and so, uh, no, we just, you go through the word of God, you hear everything, you see everything, you learn everything that God wants you to know. That's, what, that's what's supposed to happen. And so that's how we're going to do it. So we're in Romans chapter 1, uh, verse 1. We'll read verses 1 through 7. Verses 1 through 7 are the introduction to the book of Romans. And, and so we're going through that. We're, we're still in verse 1, but we'll probably finish up verse 1 today. Um, chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this is a blessing. It's, 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 um, it's exciting. It's good information. There's so much here to learn. And uh, so what we've done so far, just to give you a brief overview, first of all, we, we uh, talked about, the first thing we talked about was being a servant of Jesus Christ. It's, it's interesting to me that as you go through the Word of God and you pass through the Old Testament and you get to the four Gospels and you get to the book of Acts, and, and when you get past all of that, we begin to land squarely into New Testament doctrine, which is the book of Romans. I mean, it, it just one of the ways you know this was ordained of God is the book of Romans is the greatest explanation of New Testament history you could possibly have. And it's the first thing we come to after the transition of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You get to the book of Acts, which is another transitionary book where the Lord said, well, I'm leaving. <laughs> you guys go figure it out. I taught you. I told you. I showed you. I'm going to heaven. I'll work with you from heaven, but it's up to you from here. Go into all the world, preach the gospel to everybody, and establish New Testament Christianity. And so they began to do that, and all these wild things are happening in the book of Acts as they're trying to figure it out, and they're trying to learn, they're trying to understand. And, and in the midst of that, they begin receiving revelation from God that came to be known as the epistles. These epistles give us very clearly our doctrine. But, but the first thing God wants us to see when we come to the New Testament, and we come to the first epistle in the New Testament that, that is the most that is among one of the most foundational books of the New Testament, is that you're supposed to be a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen. That's the first thing God wants you to know. So if you're not a servant of Jesus Christ, you don't need to go any further. You need to get that worked out. Yeah. Everybody likes to jump down to homosexuality in Romans chapter 1. Or they like to talk about you know, reprobates in Romans chapter 1. Or they like to jump to the, they like to jump to the big doctrinal words like uh, you know, justification and atonement and, and all these big systematic theology type words that they like to go on and on and on about for pages. You don't need any of that if you're not a servant of Jesus Christ. Amen. When, I, when I first got saved, I, you know, I, I grew up in Memphis, Tennessee. I had a very violent upbringing thing. You know, I, I, I never met my father before. I had a six, my mother was 16 years old and homeless when she had me. 
And so from there, it went downhill. <laughs> and so that's your starting point, and then it just gets worse. Now, eventually it got better, and, and, and my mom was here on Wednesday night, which was a blessing to have her come. My mom is a wonderful woman. She just had a rough start. We'll just put it that way. She, she knows better now, but it, it's, it's better to hear it now and get it right moving forward rather than to, to, to look back and say, man, I wish I hadn't done that. And, and so my, my mom understands that. She gets that. I'm not... I'm not talking bad about her. She understands exactly what I'm saying. All right. And so, you know, I, I, I had a rough upbringing and, and, you know, kind of a violent upbringing and all these crazy things going on. And my mom uh, dated men who were very violent and they would, they would beat her and, and my, me and my brother and sister would have to see that. So it made, it made me into an angry young man. And so as an angry young man, in, I was sitting in Saudi Arabia, I ended up trusting in Jesus Christ. And from that point on, I wanted to learn everything about Jesus I could. So the first year I was saved, I read around 100 books. I mean, I was just devouring information. Well, now you have an angry young man with a chip on his shoulder who just trusted in Jesus Christ and a head full of knowledge with no compassion, no, no grace, no mercy, I was in your face. You're going to trust in Jesus Christ and do it the way I say, when I say. And I turned a lot of people off, and it, and it harmed a lot of relationships. I meant well, but had no idea what I was doing. So if you skip past being a servant of Jesus Christ and jump to all the big doctrinal information, you're just going to, make, you're going to cause more harm than good. It's a mistake. You need to be a servant of Jesus Christ. It's essential. It's important. It's the first it's the first piece of doctrine God wants you to know. And so that's the first thing we studied here. And then we came back later that, that, that Wednesday, I believe it was, and we talked about the Apostle Paul. And we went through a biographical sketch of the life and the person and background of the Apostle Paul. He wrote the letters, the first name you come to, it'd be good to know who he is. He wrote the majority of your New Testament, obviously under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So it'd be good to have a clue who he was. And so we, we talked about that. And then we, uh, we talked in, in that sermon, we talked not only about Paul, but his calling to be an apostle. And we talked about what an apostle is and how to be an apostle. And if you're an apostle today, that's pretty amazing. Um, means you're about 2,000 years old. And so we should get the media in here. I mean, we want to, we want to pay off the church debt. We can use you. If you're 2,000 years old, that, that'll, that'll raise some money <laughs> and pay off the church debt. All right. And so uh, you're not an apostle. You don't meet the requirements to be an apostle. The requirements were or are, I suppose they're still the same. You had to be there when Jesus Christ rose from the dead and you had to be baptized by, by the baptism of John. So if you don't meet those requirements, which I'm sure you don't, <laughs> you're not an apostle. Uh, if you don't have the sign gifts, if we can't take you in back and have you drink a bottle of Clorox and it doesn't hurt you, or if we find a viper outside and let it latch onto you and it doesn't damage you, then, uh, then you're an apostle. You, you'll convince me. Right, but I'm, I'm sure that that's not going to happen, so we're not going to try it. We actually had a guy in our church uh, in Florida. He came. He was just visiting, and he, he had all these wild ideas about what he thought he was, and he was going to drink a bottle of bleach. And we we're like, no, let's not, you know, let's not take it that far. <laughs> let's just, why don't you back off that thing before you hurt yourself um, in the name of Jesus, which would be a foolish thing to do. And so um, you're not an apostle, but Paul was an apostle. Now we talked about in that sermon how, how it was the, the 12 came to be apostles. Uh, Judas passed away. He fell from his, 
his office and, and had to be replaced. And so we talked about how he was replaced and the, the 12th apostle was brought in. And then later you have Barnabas and Paul, who both were apostles. So you have at least 14 apostles named in your Bible, maybe more, uh, you know, but, but at least 14. And Paul, he said, I was born out of due time. He had a, a special, there was a special significance to his apostleship. He was sent primarily to the Gentiles, though not exclusively. The first place he went in every city that he went to was straight to the synagogue to deal with the Jews. All right, so, so his, his responsibility was the Gentiles, but that didn't mean he couldn't go to other people and deal with other people and talk to other people and preach to other people. And he absolutely did that with no problem whatsoever. And so... That, that's what we talked about next. And then, uh, and then last, last time we met, which was Wednesday. Yeah. Um, see, I'm getting there. It, it's, it's, it's coming together. And so um, on Wednesday, we talked about the Apostle Paul's, uh, we talked about the gospel. So he says there at the end of verse 1, he's separated unto the gospel. And uh, we went through in detail how that a lot of people in many churches, they have no idea what the gospel is. They don't know how to connect, at least at a minimum, they don't know how to connect the term gospel to the definition, which is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 15. And so if you want to know what the gospel is, 1 Corinthians 15 defines that for you and makes that very clear for us. Um, But a a lot of churches, even good churches, the people in those churches struggle to define the term gospel. And when you ask them, what is the gospel? They say Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, or the word of God, or all sorts of things, but not the definition of the term gospel, which is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, who died for your sins according to the scriptures. It was all accomplished in accord with the word of God. That's the gospel. Now, today we're going to talk a little bit more about that separation, because to, to be, it's, it's, it's very important. Let's read verse 1 again. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto. You see that. Now, this is why that is significant. In many churches, they, you know, independent Baptist churches, our churches are very good, or at least they used to be. It's a little iffy today, but, but they're, they're either hardcore about separation or they're slacking on separation. It's, it's one extreme or the other. Either there's no standards, you can do what you want, God just loves everybody and thinks you're just a wonderful uh, human being and you don't do anything wrong, which is not true. There's, in Florida, there's a big billboard in Orlando that says, God is not angry. There's another one that says, God sees you and he loves what, you, what he sees. Isn't that wonderful? Doesn't that just sound so nice? Now, I wonder what the pedophile driving down the street thinks when he sees that sign. God sees me and loves what he sees. I wonder what a murderer or a thief thinks when he sees that sign. Now, some of our friends called the church that had the God is not angry sign. And they said, I I noticed that the Bible says literally word for word. God is not God is God is angry with the wicked every single day. So how do you square your sign with what the Bible says? And you know what they said? Click. <laughs> they, they hung up the phone. They didn't want to talk about it. All right, so God does not think you're wonderful. Have you read Romans 3? If you haven't, we're going to eventually. We'll get there. But Romans 3 says, God said of man, your, your mouth is an open sepulcher. There is none that doeth good. There is none righteous. You're all gone out of the way. 
Right? So that, that's what God thinks of us. So, so for you to start thinking that God is just some big teddy bear in the sky and he doesn't care about anything that goes on in my life, that's just not true. When you live in sin, it makes God angry. And you, you might inspire him to come chastise you and deal with it. Now, those of you who had fathers who spanked you, raise your hand if you enjoyed it. <laughs> Nobody? All right, well, how would you like your father in heaven to have to come down and chastise you? All right, so if you would humble yourself under the mighty hand of God and, and just do it yourself, God would not have to come do it for you. And you would, you would much prefer to do it yourself than to have God do it for you. Now, Romans 5, uh, Romans 5 eventually, we're gonna, we'll get there eventually as well. It talks about tribulation. God uses tribulation in our life to, to improve us, to make us better. He doesn't take it away. In fact, it says that we glory through tribulation. <laughs> if, you, if you glory through tribulation, you need to come teach me how to do it. <laughs> uh, but that's supposed to be the case. Now, think about that. That means God is not taking the tribulation away. He's going to teach you how to deal with it. He's going to teach you how to go through it. And then having gone through it, it will make you better on the other end. Do you know, do you know where the word tribulation came from? A tribulum which was a, a massive uh, hammerhead that had spikes on it. And what they would do is take that hammerhead and slam it down into the wheat and rip out the tares. And so the idea is that God is ripping out the parts he doesn't want. <laughs> it's not a nice process, but it's part of the Christian life. And, and so when you get the, all those tares out, you're left with the good stuff. So when God gets all the tears out of you, you, you'll be left with all the good stuff. It's just how much do you want him to have to rip out versus how much you're willing to take out yourself? That's, that's ultimately the question. And so, and so when it comes to separation, you have the crowd who just says God, God, God is love and just likes everything you do and he's just happy with you and you don't do anything wrong. Well, that's not right. Then you have the other side, which is the side I'm probably more geared towards, but it's still just as wrong. And that's the side that's all hellfire and brimstone. God is all judgment. He's going he's gonna to break your kneecaps. He's going to do horrible things to you because of all the things you do wrong. And that's not true. You know, so, sometimes we, get, we, we start looking at our lives and say, man, I did pretty good today. God's probably pretty happy. <laughs> no, you didn't. <laughs> you didn't do good, and it didn't cause God to be happy. You know what get, makes God happy? To look at you and see you're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, so, so what happens in your life, it, it's, it's, it is a blessing from God or it is a mistake you made. You don't want to start thinking about it in terms of, I did so good today, God is going to bless me. No, he blesses you because he is good. He blesses you because he loves you. And then when the terrible things start happening, it could be God chastising you. It's very possible. We don't, it's, it's hard oftentimes to tell. Or it could be just life in a sin-cursed world. And so we're not being, we're not going through troubles because we've been bad and we're not receiving blessings because we've been good. God blesses us because that's what God, that's what God does. Life is hard in a sin-cursed world. And, and, then, and then on top of that, we make dumb decisions. And the Bible says the way of the transgressor is hard. <laughs> and so we make our lives hard and then we look up and say, God, why are you doing this to me? And God's looking back down saying, I don't know why you did that to you. <laughs> just 
it's, it's, that's, that's kind of the ebb and flow of this life. And so when it comes to separation, this, this, is, this is why I'm, why I'm Going through all this, look, look at it again. Look at the last phrase, separated unto the gospel of God. Now, th- this is, this is going to be our balanced approach to separation in this church. The side that, that talks about hellfire and brimstone and the judgment of God, they're good at telling you what to be separated from. I don't think you should have this. I don't think you should go there. I don't think you should do this or that or whatever. And and they can give you the long list of their opinions of how you should live your life, which is this is not biblically correct. Then then the other side just pretends like there's nothing to be separated from and that God is just okay with everything. Again, that's, that's not biblically correct. This is the biblical approach to separation. God expects you to separate yourself from anything that is sinful or that would keep you from God. And separate yourself unto the things that please God. So you got to identify the things that don't please God, that would make God angry, that are sinful, that would keep you from God, that would hinder your relationship with God, and separate yourself from it. But that's not the end of the matter. If you just separate yourself from, you're going to get yourself in more trouble. You remember that, that, that parable about the, the, you know, the man that had the devils and, 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 and all that, and he cast that devil out? Well, then he came back with seven more friends. <laughs> Why? Because there, there was separation from, but it wasn't replaced with anything. Okay, I, I think you should separate yourself from ungodly music. But what are you going to replace it with? I think you should separate yourself from ungodly movies and television. The first night I was here, first day I was here, I told you the best way to clean up your TV is to put it in a tub and turn the water on. But what are you going to replace that with? Do you understand? You can't just separate from. You know, you have men, they they get saved, they, they have a wife and they have children. Their children are 14, 15, 16 years old, suddenly the father gets on fire and wants to live for Jesus and just rips everything out of their life that they've known the past 14, 15, 16 years. All right, now some of it probably needs to be ripped out. But what are you going to replace it with? You can't just leave a void there that's going to be filled and it might be filled with something far worse than what you took out. All right, so these things have to be approached carefully, slowly. You want to plan it out. You want to be deliberate about it. And you want to make sure that as you move forward and try to become more Christ-like, that as you take things out, you're identifying what God says to replace it with. If you don't replace it, you're going to be in trouble. You're going to be in a mess. Now, this separation, if you look at it, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now, every time you go through a, a, a new epistle, uh, let, let's, let's test it. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Let's see what the first thing, first couple of things Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 1, Paul called to be what? An apostle of Jesus Christ through what? All right, so this, his being separated under the gospel, his being called to be an apostle, who did that for him? God did. Through Jesus Christ, that, that's how he came to have that, that place, that position. Now, that, that's the spiritual reality of the situation. You and I, we have been separated from this world by God spiritually. Well, it's up to you to live that out on a daily basis. 
It's up to you to identify the, the areas in your life that need to be removed and then what to replace them with. What, what's going to make my life better? What's going to make my life more Christ-like? What's going to make my life more biblical? What will make my relationships more biblical? What, what, what's going to make my marriage more biblical? How can I, how can I be more Christ-like at work? You know, a lot, a lot of our friends, they, they struggle with that one. They like to go to work and talk about Jesus, which is good. That's a blessing. But that company's paying you to work, right? They're not paying you to talk about Jesus. Now, I hope you go there and you represent Jesus Christ, but the way to represent Jesus Christ at work is by being the best, most diligent employee they have. So when they come to you and say, why are you so wonderful? You say it's because of Jesus and for no other reason. It, but when you, when you take away from the work you're supposed to be doing to go tell somebody about Jesus, well, praise the Lord for your boldness, but you're stealing money in the name of Jesus. <laughs> and the company says, I hired you to do this, I hired you to do A, and you're over here doing B, we have a problem. And then they come to us and they say, they persecute me at work because of my faith. You're not doing your job. <laughs> they're not persecuting you. They want you to do what they're paying you to do. Now, if opportunity comes up, when I had a job and I was working, I'd be doing my job. A guy sitting next to me, I can do my job, and he wants to talk about Jesus, and it's not interfering with anything. Praise the Lord. No problem. I go on break, and they want to talk about Jesus. No problem. I, 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 my last job, I was a communications engineer. I loved it. It was a great job. Great company. They took great care of us. But it was because we worked. <laughs> they, they, they're just like, thank you for not coming to work and playing on Facebook. <laughs> thank you for showing up on time and then leaving a little bit late. Like, like that these, it's not hard to outdo this current generation of people. It's actually really easy. And, and I, the advice I give to young men is if you just go to work and, and don't complain and work hard, they will think you're gold. <laughs> They will pay you. They will treat you like you're the most wonderful thing they've ever seen in their life. Now, it's because you're separated and you're going to do what you agreed to do. That's, that's being honest. That's having integrity. And, and so when you show up to work and you demonstrate that I am here to do what you've paid me to do and I'm going to do it well and to the best of my ability, even better than that, I'm going to do it as unto the Lord, which is what God said. Right? And I'm not going to distract from my work and not be productive in the name of Jesus. That's, that's, that's not separation. I, I get what you're trying to accomplish, but there's a right place and a right time and a right way to do all that. You should be bold at work. I, I, I was. I, I was a, a, a tier two person at the job that I had, and, and that meant they moved me back to this little small room full of men. And they were the biggest reprobates you could ever imagine. They had filthy mouths. And, and, and so one of them came to me the first day in there. He said, nah, I know you're a Christian. It was me and one other brother from my church. We worked there together. And everybody knew we don't go. They would come and say, hey, did you see that TV show last night? Never mind. They would just, never mind. Just forget it. Because <laughs> they know I didn't see it. I didn't watch it. I don't care. I didn't do that. I was doing something else last night. It had nothing to do with TV or whatever it is you do. I wasn't out drinking. I, was, I don't do any of that. And so they, as they came to know that, he came to me and he said, you know, we talk about all sorts of stuff back here. Are you going to get offended and go tell on us if we say something you don't like? I was like, well, are you going to get offended if I say something you don't like? 
he was like, never mind, just, <laughs> just, just forget it. Because it, 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 I believe in freedom of speech, which means you are free to say whatever you want. You want to blaspheme God, you want to curse God. We live in a country where you can do that. But don't be upset when I exercise my freedom of speech and I come right back at you and we deal with things the way that I want to deal with them. All right, so, so it goes both ways. Everybody needs to be respectful of that. We just happen to be in a situation where that works, but that's not how they want things to go. They want to be able to be free to say what they want to say, but they don't want you to say what you want to say. Well, we're not doing it that way. If you want to talk about it, we'll talk about it. One guy, we, one guy came and asked me a Bible question, and I was, I was working, and he came and sat next to me and asked me something about Moses, and, and that same guy said, oh, is that more mythology? And I turned around, and I said, if you want to open that door, I'm going to walk through it. And he turned back around and went back to his desk and went back to work. He said, you know, he did, it, they, they like to joke and play, but then when it's time to put their feet to the fire, it's like, well, never mind. I don't want to talk about it. No, you, you opened the door. You wanted to have the conversation. You just thought we were going to have it on your terms. And now that I've taken over the conversation, we're having it on my terms. You don't want to talk anymore. And so you go to work. You be diligent. You demonstrate you are separated. You show them that that God has separated you through the blood of Jesus Christ and made you a new creature that is different. You're not like everybody else. You don't don't come home from work and say, do you know what everybody at work is doing? I don't care what everybody at work is doing. I want to know what you're doing at work. How are you acting at work? Yeah, but they, I don't care about them. They have no Holy Spirit. They have no God. They have no Bible. They don't care. You're supposed to care. So you don't get held to the same standard as them. You don't get to act the same way as them. You're supposed to be different, which means we, we put up with a lot, of diff- a lot of things that they wouldn't put up with. That's okay. It honors and glorifies Jesus Christ. Now, I, I, what I want to show you today, and, and if we ever get to it, if I ever get past all this talking that I'm doing, is, is that, that God has separated you. And, and, and it's a common theme all through the Bible. But from there, it's up to you to live out that separation. And if you fail to do that, you're not living up to where God has placed you. He has taken you out of this world, though you're physically located in this world. You're not a part of this world. He told you, come out from among them. Now, he did that for you spiritually. You have been placed in the body of Christ. We are foreigners, we are strangers, we are pilgrims. This world is not our home, we're just passing through. Everybody likes to sing that, but when are you going to live that? And does your life demonstrate that? And so, so that's what we want to be very clear about today and, and try to finish in a reasonable amount of time now that you've already taken up all my time. Turn to Genesis 13. See, it's easy to blame you. <laughs> Genesis 13 I want to, we'll show you a couple of these. They're, they're repetitive, so we don't have to go through all of them. Um, I'll show you a couple of them and try to demonstrate to you what the, Lord, what the Lord has done for us. Now, he started with the nation of Israel, but it's the same idea when we get to the New Testament. Genesis 13, verses 8 through 11. Let's read these real fast. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, and between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we, are brethren, for we be brethren. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself. You see that? This is the first mention of the word. The first time it's, it's, it's brought up. Uh, are, you need to know where we are. Or are you? <laughs> Genesis 13, verses 
8 through 11. Verses 8 through 11. So he tells him to separate himself, separate thyself, I pray thee, from me, if thou wilt take the left hand, and then, and then I will go to the right, or if thou depart to the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, here, here's the idea, here's what, what I need you to see. There are two men standing there. Each man has a, a, a group of people they are responsible for. They have a herd they are responsible for. And they're talking and they're saying, we are going to separate. Which means we're going to go, we're going to leave here and we're going to go to a different location. All right Now, I, I know that's not deep and I'm not trying to insult your intelligence. I understand. But, but the, the reason I have to be this, this, you know, detailed about it and to go to this level is because too many Christians do not live any semblance of a separated life. They carry on just like this world, like nothing, like I trusted in Jesus. I'm washed in the blood. Praise the Lord, I'm just going to go live like everybody else until I die and go to heaven. That's a terrible way to live the Christian life. That's available to you if you want to do that. But why would you, I mean, you're essentially, you know, we don't have time to look at it. We'll we'll see it eventually, I'm sure. But in, in Hebrews, God said there was a group of people. He looked down at them in Hebrews 11. He said, I am not ashamed to be called their God. Now, what's the opposite of that? That means there are people that belong to God, and he looks down at them and says, yeah, they belong to me, but I'm ashamed of them. Now, that distinction is based on the way you choose to live your life. If you choose to live a shameful life that that God would not, that does not honor and glorify God, God looks at them and says, I am ashamed. That's not what I want to be. That's not how I want to live. I, I want to stand before God and, and have him say, Thomas Irvin is a servant of Jesus Christ, and I am not ashamed for him to be mine. Right now, that, that, that's the choice that we have to make on a daily basis. That's what you and I have to establish on a daily basis, how you're going to do that, how you're going to live that, how you're going to continuously make those improvements, those separations from and unto all right, now let's keep going. Look at Exodus 33. Let's, let's see this again. Exodus 33. Um, Exodus 33, and, and we'll look at verses 12 through 17. Verse 12. And Moses said unto the Lord, See thou sayest unto, unto me, Bring up this people, that thou hast not let me know whom thou wilt send with me. Yet thou hast said, I know thee by name, and thou hast also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray thee, if I have found grace in thy sight, show me now thy way, that I may know thee, that I may find grace in thy sight, and consider that this nation is thy people. Now, do you understand what Moses is asking him? How can I do things in a way that please you? How can I move my life and these people in a direction that honors you? If I have found grace in your sight, will you tell me how to do that? <laughs> now, that's, that's the attitude to have. Too many people just assume God's going to be so happy with what I'm going to do today. <laughs> Based on what? Well, it's me. Don't you know how wonderful I am? No. <laughs> and neither does God and neither does your mother. It was a, it's a big problem in the South here in America, and it was a huge problem in Uganda. We would meet people and would ask them, are you a sinner? No. 
What? And so if they had a friend with them, I would ask their friend, is he a sinner? And their friend every time would say, yeah, he's a sinner. (laughs) You're the only one that's convinced yourself you're not a sinner. And I don't know what you think you're going to get out of that, but you know it's not true. (laughs) You liar. Verse 14, and he said, my presence shall go with thee, and I will give thee rest. And he said unto him, if thy presence go with me, carry, if thy presence go not with me, carry us not up hence. All right, now this is, this is directly related to, to separation. He, God says, Moses, I'm going to go with you. Well, praise the Lord. And Moses says, if at any time you're not going to go with us, I don't want to go. Why would you want to go somewhere where God is not present? Where God is not, it, it doesn't please God. You, you have to remember the Holy Spirit, if you're saved, lives inside of you. Well, where are you taking God on a daily basis? What are you making God look at and listen to on a daily basis? What do you subject the Holy Spirit to on a daily basis? All right, so you, you want to be real careful about that and adopt this mentality. Moses said, if, if, Lord, if you'll go with me, I'll go wherever you want to go. If you're not going to go, I'm not going. Now, for us, the Holy Spirit lives inside of us, so it's a little bit different. It should be, Lord, you live inside of me. I know you're going with me. Please Help me not to go somewhere that would dishonor you. Help me not to participate in something that, that would sin against you, that would quench the Holy Spirit, that would, that would defile God in some way who lives inside of me. We, we, we don't want to do that. We don't want to be a part of that. And, and so look at... Uh, Look at uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Let's jump down there. 1 Peter chapter 2. And let's get a New Testament perspective on this, on our being separated by God. 1 Peter chapter 2. And we'll read verses 3 through 10. Now, now listen to the, as we go through this, the, the progression of ideas as, as Peter's talking about what we have been made in Jesus Christ. And then and it lays out, some expectations based upon that that we want to be very careful about. Verse 3, if so be ye have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you done that? Anybody here done that? Is the Lord gracious? The Lord is, is very gracious. Okay, now that's setting you up. <laughs> that's God saying, have you tasted the Lord is gracious? And we're all sitting here saying, yeah, he's gracious. Okay, since that's true, have you done this? Have you done that? Are you going to live this way? Are you going to live that way? You said he was gracious. If that's the case, then, then let's see what the progression is. Verse 4, to whom coming as unto a living stone disallowed indeed of men, but chosen of God and precious. Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore also it is contained in the scripture, Behold, I lay in Sion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded. Unto you, therefore, which believe. Okay, so who's he talking about? He's talking about us. It's, it's going back and forth between Jesus Christ is the elect, He's the one that's talking about there. He is precious. He is that chief cornerstone. He's, he's the stone that men stumble at. Now he's going to flip it back towards us. Unto you, therefore, which believe he is precious. 
But unto them which be disobedient, the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and a stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumble at the word, being disobedient. Whereunto also they were appointed, but ye are, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, and holy nation, a peculiar people, that you should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts, which war against the soul. So you see what happened there? The Lord said, I have separated you. I've made you, I've made you a royal priesthood. I, I, I have... I have given you this special place, which makes you different. You're peculiar. People say, I mean, you Christians, you live so weird. No, it's, it's peculiar. You know, why, why do you, people would ask all the time, you know, we're, we're getting internet out of the house. Eventually, one year, it'll, it'll come eventually. Actually, they came, they came out the other day and, and mark, made some markings on the ground and then left. I was like, well, that's one step. Here we go. We're, we're getting there. And so, so, but, but. In other places that we've lived, we get the internet hooked up, and they call back and they say, oh, we noticed you forgot to hook up your cable. I didn't forget. Right. Oh, you already have cable. No, I don't have cable. Well, what do you do? What do I do? Is, is television all you know to do? And like, I mean, that's not even doing. You're just sitting and looking at a box. That's not doing. That's, that's like we, we get up and go outside. You know, that. There's fresh air outside. There's sunlight. There's, my, my kids like to play in the rain, and sometimes they want us to do it. Bad little kids. And so you're supposed to be separated. That, 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 that doesn't mean you don't go into the world. Jesus Christ could sit down with sinners. Everybody knew he sat with sinners, but he didn't participate in what they were doing. Everybody at that table knew there was a distinction between him and them. And that's the way it's supposed to be with you. They're supposed to know you're there, respect you, like you, appreciate you, but know that you are not the same as them. You're not going to go out to the bar with them after work. You're not going to watch the same shows as them. You're not going to, uh, whatever it is they do, you're not likely to participate in it because there is a distinction between you and them. And God expects you to carry out that distinction. Now, I, I, I will teach you what the Bible says about those things in time as we go over them, but I'm not going to give you a list of things that I think you should and shouldn't do. It's between you and God to get those things straightened out. Now, I'm going to teach it from the Word of God when it comes up, but just because I don't think I should do something, and I, I, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a stumbling block for me, it may or may not be for you. All right, so, so we're going to be real careful about those things, but when it's very clear from the Word of God, there's no question I'm going, to, I'm going to throw it right there in your face and expect you to believe it and obey it. Yeah, I know, Americans don't like that word. Obey? Don't you know we're, it's the land of the free. Yeah, right. <laughs> free what? <laughs> uh, free health care, yeah. yeah. Colossians chapter 1, let's look at a few more real fast. Colossians chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, giving thanks unto the Father, now listen to this, which hath made us meet to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints and light. Did you know that because you're in 
because you're in Christ Jesus, you're going to receive part of his inheritance. You and I, we get that simply because we trusted in Jesus Christ. Now, that's what this is talking about. God has made you meet to be partakers. He has done for you what you couldn't do for yourself to, to make it so that you could partake of the inheritance of Jesus Christ. That's a blessing, right? Now, verse 13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son in whom we have redemption through his blood, even forgiveness of sins. Now, are you delivered from the power of darkness? Some people came to Jesus, they trusted in Jesus Christ, they had their sins forgiven, they were delivered from the power of darkness, and then they went right back. And they went, they went right back to the bottle, they went right back to the smoking, they went right back to the pornography, they went right, whatever it was that they were hung, hung up on before, they came to Jesus, got the cleansing power, got the ability to get victory, had the word of God, they possibly had a church, maybe, and then, and then had, had hymns and, and, and a pastor and loving church people, uh, any number of things that could have helped them get victory over whatever they were hung up on, and they said goodbye and went right back. That's a shame. It didn't have to be that way. That's a choice on their part. Um, though it, it, it's not always that simple. It's not always that, you know, that, I don't want to make little of the, of the struggles and the battles that people have on a daily basis. They're very real. But you also don't want to make light of the victory that you could have through Jesus Christ if you would choose to take advantage of it. Now, it, it, it's a battle. It's not, it's, again, it's not easy. But victory is available if you will take it. And, and, and so ultimately, God puts that back in your hands. Look at Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5. And, and here we are again with the Apostle Paul. Verse 1, Paul, an apostle, and he makes sure to throw this note in there, not of men, neither by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia, grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from, from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Now, does that mean anything to you? That Jesus Christ gave himself for your sin? Does that, if that doesn't do something in your heart, if that doesn't inspire you in some way, if that doesn't encourage you in some way, I have to suggest that you've got some emotional problems that we need to talk about. If somebody, if, if an innocent man would volunteer to, to sacrifice his life on your behalf who didn't deserve it, and it means nothing to you, uh, you've, you've got some problems. It, it, it should stir you. It should, it, should, it should break your heart and cause you to want to do better. Um, uh, he gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world, according to the will of God and our Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I marvel. <laughs> it goes right into it. That you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of, uh, of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. So he says, he goes through this whole thing. He said, isn't it wonderful that Jesus died for your sins? Isn't it wonderful that he saved you from this present evil world? Okay, well, I marvel 
that you were so easily and so soon removed? What happened? How, how did you start off so strong? And, then, and, and we, we've seen people do it. There's a couple that I have in my mind now that was in our church in Florida that you couldn't have been any more on fire. I mean, they, they were at every event. They were at every, every time we went out street preaching, every, to, every parade we went to, everything that we did, they were there. They were involved only a year or two later to, to fall apart in a way you can't imagine. How are you so soon removed from the grace of Jesus Christ? The, it, 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 you, you trusted in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ to get you there. But then once you experience the grace of God, Rather than allowing that to motivate you to continue to live the Christian life, too many people look at that and say, so I can just go do what I want? And I'm, I'm still going to be saved? Well, yeah, you can. I don't suggest that. You know, it, it, that's always the argument of people that say, well, you believe in once saved, always saved, which... This is a weird thing to ask. When, when 20 people will stop you and ask you, do you believe in once saved, always saved? It means they're all getting the question from the same source. <laughs> it's not a genuine question that they came up with on their own. It means that they heard this somewhere, and now they, they, they know that they think that I believe that, so they're going to ask me that question. And I say, yes. And their response to that is always, well, then that means you could just live however you want. But you do live however you want. Who made you come to church today? Nobody. You chose to get up and come to church. Who made you go to work on Monday? Nobody. The question is not, can you do whatever you want? You can absolutely do whatever you want. The question is, what do you want? What is your desire? Is, is there any consolation in Christ Jesus are, are you is your heart stirred by the fact that he gave himself for you? And also that he has expectations of you to live a, a separated and clean life? Does that mean anything to you? If it does, then your life will show it. If it doesn't, your life will show it. <laughs> it's up to you. I'm not going to come knocking on your door. And like, Let me see your refrigerator. Let me see your computer. No, I, that, that's not happening. What you do in your home... I, yesterday I had to go pick up a bunch of, of, of wood in... In McLean, is that right? Is that the word? Yeah, all right. The guy has a sawmill out there, and so I get out there. His name is Rooster. And he looks like a rooster. <laughs> it's a really, really nice guy, but just, just as backwoods and country as you can imagine. And so I, I, I get there. It's, it's his property, his house. He has a big sawmill out there. He cuts up a bunch of lumber. He drives it himself. He does, does a pretty good job. And uh, I bought a bunch of lumber from him, and and I get out there, and he's like, man, I, I know you're a pastor, but I, I already opened this beer. And I was like, well, this is your house. I'm not coming to your house and telling you what to do in your house. You have the Holy Spirit. You have the Word of God. And then he, and then he looks at me and says, is it all right if I smoke? <laughs> this is your house. All right? I'm not telling you what to do in your house. You come to my house, I'll tell you, no, we're not smoking. And no, we're not drinking. Nothing destroys more homes in this world than alcohol. It, we, we were at the, there's a restaurant in Uganda, in Masaka, where we lived, and they're dedicated to getting rid of plastic. And so you go there, and, and they make their own lives harder because they, they, everything has to be glass because 
according to their ideology, nothing can be plastic because plastic is going to, you know, cause climate change and everybody's going to die in 12 years and all that good stuff, which, you know, is, is insanity. And so I asked them one day, we're sitting there where, where we used to sit, right, right next to us is a big cooler full of beer. And I would say, so you, 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 don't, you, you, don't, you won't give anybody plastic. And they said, yes. I said, but you'll sell alcohol. And they're like, yeah. Like, you don't see the problem with that? And they, they said, no. I said, well, let, let's look it up. So we, we tried to look up how many people die per year from plastic. <laughs> There's no answer. Right. And every stat that they provide comes from people who live next to a landfill. Well, there's all sorts of stuff in a landfill, not just plastic. Right. And, and so they have to admit that. And so what they say is they think about 400,000 to 1 million people per year die from plastic. That's a massive range. You can't get any closer to that. That's 600,000 people difference, which means you're just guessing or just grabbing at straws. <laughs> Paper straws. Just grabbing at paper straws. And so you, you, don't know, they're, they're, you don't know how many people die for you. But if we take the high end, it's, it's, it's one million. Alcohol kills more than three million people per year. All right, so if we gave you the high end of your ideology, you're, you might be helping prevent up to a million people per year from dying. But alcohol kills three million people per year, and you and you got it flowing right out your doors. People come here and drink, get in their car, and then go drive home. And you're directly responsible for that. God said, Woe unto you. Woe unto him that giveth his neighbor drink. And so um, you have to be you have to be separated. The first step is that God already separated you spiritually. God already did that work for you. You're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. You're in the body of Christ. He made you a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. You have an inheritance in heaven because of Christ Jesus. Everything that belongs to us is through Jesus Christ. And now because of that, we're a royal priesthood. We are pilgrims. We are strangers. We're just passing through this land. It's not supposed to be home. It's not supposed to be comfortable. It's supposed to be odd to us. When the world sees us, they should say, that's peculiar. (laughs) But that's not what's happening. Instead, church after church says, what is the world doing to attract people? Why don't we try that? Church after church says, well, you know, a lot, there are so many people who fornicate in America today. Maybe we just won't preach against that. Adultery is so common. Maybe we'll just sweep that under the rug and not mention it. Being a thief, not working. You, do you know how much the Bible has to say about a man who won't work? It has a lot to say. <laughs> But let's not mention that because, you know, we do have a society full of weak men who refuse to work and domineering women who won't who won't take the place of subjection to their husband. So let's just not mention those things and just kind of sweep them under the rug and pretend like they don't exist. And what you've created is a monstrosity. It's out of control. It's horrendous. There's no separation. There's no godliness. There's no holiness. There's no righteousness in homes. And so everything falls apart. People are addicted to drugs in mass numbers. They're addicted to alcohol in mass numbers. If, if they don't have a, a, a government-defined addiction, then they go to the doctor and get a prescribed addiction. 
It's one or the other. People can't, you can't be quiet. You got to have music or something blasting all the time. Because if, if my mind has two seconds to think about my life, I might have a breakdown. <laughs> when I go to the gas pump, blast something in my face. When I go to a restaurant, turn the music up loud. Just don't let me think about life. Well, if you would step back from that, separate yourself. Start removing the things that are causing so much trouble and turmoil in your life. Live out the separation that God already provided for you. It's, you would find favor with God and man. That's what the Bible says. It's up to you to try that. It's up to you to adopt that. It's up to you to put that in place. And so that is separation. That is the type of separation the Apostle Paul lived out. He never failed to live a separated life. He gave himself over to service to Jesus Christ. It was a wonderful thing. It's a good example. It's what we want to follow. We want to be more like Jesus Christ. We want to live, we want to live biblical, holy lives. We don't want to get caught up in the course of this world. The course of this world is against God. It doesn't go with God. It goes contrary to the Word of God. And that's why people struggle. Because what this world has to offer, sometimes it's beautiful, sometimes it's nice, sometimes it's convenient, but in the end, it, it, it comes with a price tag, and it might cause you to sacrifice your relationship with Jesus Christ, and you don't want to do that. All right, let's pray. Father, we thank you again for being so good to us and for loving us, and sure, thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, and, and, and Lord, the opportunity to live clean and separated lives. Lord, teach us how to do it. Help us to do it. Give us the wisdom, uh, give us the knowledge, give us the courage uh, to live a life that would honor and glorify you, that would please you. And Lord, at the end of our lives, may, may, may we live in such a way that when you see us, you'd be very clear that you are not ashamed to be our God. Uh, pray you'd help us, pray you'd guide us, and pray you'd lead us. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name I pray, amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption podcast.